And that music symbolizes that we are getting ready to discuss the entity. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get to that. There's a, they actually gave that a, a, a phrase for what that was. Uh, whenever the uh, Bernstein and the director Fury were uh, uh, talking about like what they wanted for the movie or whatever, they actually gave names to the two types of music that's throughout the movie. But we'll we'll discuss that here in just a second. So. <clears throat> This is probably, I mean, this is definitely not going to be as humorous as the last uh, discussion just because I feel like the nature of this particular event uh, necessitates a little bit more of a, I don't know, a a serious tone. Um, This is uh, the 1982 movie, The Entity, uh, directed by Sidney J. Fury, uh, written by Frank D. Felita, uh, who wrote both the novel and the screenplay. for this movie. The music is by Charles Bernstein and uh, he's probably most famous for Nightmare on Elm Street. Like oh. he actually did the music for that movie. That makes sense. Okay. And he did the he also did the music for Cujo, although I don't really remember the music from that movie so much. We've already discussed Cujo it was like, you know, it's uh it's not it wasn't the dog's fault. It was the it was D Wallace's uh, Karen character that kinda <laughs> Cujo was just a <laughs> was misunderstood puppy. One. You know, puppies need to be trained, and they like to chew on things, and they can be a little messy. They got to learn, you know? Uh, yeah, they they uh, they need to learn not to eat little children, but uh, that's besides the point. So, <clears throat> I, Nightmare on Elm Street is probably, like, my, one of my favorite, like, soundtracks from, like, a horror movie. I just think that they did such a good job with the music and that. I mean, you get that one, two, Freddy's coming for you and all that, and all the little, like, I mean, it's a creepy but, like, lullaby-type music throughout that movie, and I think it's great. Yeah, uh, it keeps um, the momentum going, though, because there is no mood lighteners in, in the soundtrack for Freddy Krueger. No, not at all. The funny thing about this movie was is that when Bernstein came to it uh the music that he gave to this movie was not the uh was actually a fury had already came up with the idea for it like he said okay I I I want two pieces and I and I'm going to title them Hydred and the Thrasher and he says whenever the attacks are happening I want the Thrasher and 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 whenever the the other parts of the movie building up to that I want the Hydred and and uh, Bernstein listened to that, and he's like, "Okay, I know what you're what you're asking for, and that's why you got that that high pitched whining sound, almost like you're next to an electrical line or something that leads up into the attacks. And when and the music you just played is the music that's you know during the attacks, so that's the thrasher part of it, you know, like whenever it's the symbolized the brutality of it. Um, I think he did a pretty good job matching up what Fury wanted, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know what? Here's here's the situation. When I heard the music, um, I've watched this movie a few times, but more recently, um, I, it, now that you've said Nightmare on Elm Street, it was Charles Bernstein, now I'm like, okay, you can hear the tones of that. There's a lot of, I, I, I can't even say if it's a, it, it almost sounds like a violin, but I don't think that it is, um, making that high-pitched whine noise that you're describing, and... He was real big in using synthesizers okay. to kind of get that effect too. That makes know. sense. And I'm like, now that I you're saying that, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, that makes 100 sense. And man, I mean, definitely again keeps the momentum going in this film. It doesn't stop. 
I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I mean, this is getting the discussion of the film before we even discussed the, the rest of the players. But I didn't even know what was happening in the very first scene. It gets into it so quick. I mean, mm-hmm. you get the quick scene of, you know, uh, the of Carla or whatever, Barbara Hershey's character, as she's going through her daily, you know, like she's learning how to type and all that. And then she comes home and you get that nice little introduction between her and her son. And then all of a sudden she's just sitting there and out of nowhere, just whap, you know, right on the face. And I'm like, and then just, it's right into it. And yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, that very first scene, I, you know, I, I know now that it was supposed to be a rape scene. I thought she was just getting like beat up because yeah. they were so coy in that scene. Like it's hard to tell what's really happening. Yeah. Full disclosure, um, folks. If you have not seen the entity, uh, you need to know now, <clears throat> excuse me, lots of violent rape. Uh, for sure, by literally an entity. I, I just throwing that spoiler out now because that way this is your chance to exit if you can't handle it. Um, there's some history. Yeah, this it's, is based it's a, on a. What, is this on what is it, based on a true story or based on actual events? What what is the what is the prop for this one? Hey, this is based on a legit true story. They like DeFelita literally just got through living with the actual woman who this is based on, which I've gotten this in the trivia too. He just got through living with her during the last parts of her, like, you know, time in California where she was dealing with this before she moved, wrote the book. And like within a year's time, they, they had a screenplay for the movie. So it's like within like two or three years of whenever I, I think, or at most like five of whenever the actual event happened. So, I mean, yeah. it was like right, right afterward. I did offer myself up for, that's probably a terrible thing to say in this (laughs) discussion, but I did offer to give uh, the details because I I read about this case a lot um, and I've heard the podcast. So I do have some historical facts, as I'm sure you do as well. Um, But there's two different sides of the story. And I think at the end, when we review the uh, rate the films, because we haven't rated... um, what do you call it? The other one yet? Uh, God, we've been doing some no, the frighteners. The frighteners. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm stuck in the changeling. We have not reviewed those yet, but I want to discuss what you believe. So try to keep that a secret to the till the end of the show or towards the end. Okay. okay. If you can, if you can. If not, um, no big deal. But all that to say, uh, I, I was totally unprepared for the Thrasher music up front, but I got to say <laughs> it is highly effective because there's a scene. I mean, I, I got to throw this out there before we even get into it. This movie legit like built up and like actually had some good like m- moments of tension that I actually thought were creepy. Like the scene where she goes back into the house after she's run her kids out to the car and she's looking for the keys. <clears throat> And of course, Fury like focuses on the keys and shows the audience where they're at, but she doesn't know. And she's like passing by the door, and then all of a sudden, it starts beating, and the thrasher like is going on in the background, like mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah, it, I mean, because I, I I had myself in that position, regardless of the you know the the sexual nature of it, just being in a house by yourself that you know some violent you know supernatural creatures in, and then just you know to hear that. I mean, it was just the beats on the door were like totally in sync with the music oh yeah added to it they did real good um when did you first watch this film was this recently literally yeah literally for this like i've never seen this before (laughs) (laughs) okay well a friend introduced me to this film when i was 17 we were 16 or 17 no fucking business at that age watching this film but she had told me the story she's like yeah it's a true story i'm like you're fucking shitting me and she's like i'm dead serious she goes but it's so okay this is terrible these were teenagers okay 
Um, but she was like, and it's so funny because every time the rape is happening, they've got this horrible music playing and she's being raped to the tune of the music. And I was yeah. like, you're crazy. And we watched the movie and uh, I'm sorry to say it, folks, but that's exactly what it is. Now, I think that the high dread part of it is an essential part. I mean, the thrasher is, you know, represents the violence, but the high dread, it's, it's oh like God. the prickling on the back of your neck. You know, it's like anytime you hear the high dread, they've got <sighs> it right before the attack. So, you know, something's going to happen. It's almost it's more, almost, it's terrible because I don't want to say this because I don't want to be insensitive, but it's almost more brutal than the rape. Are you talking about the music and the way no, that they go about it? No, not the music, it? the stuff that happens around. Like, even without the rape, there's violent stuff happening around her in certain scenes, of course. Oh, oh yeah, like stuff, I mean, windows blowing out behind her. That scene got me, by the way. I mean, I'm going to throw that out there, too. I know we're kind of discussing it, but she's at a friend's house and, like, visiting, and all of a sudden these windows just start breaking all around her. And yes, I, mean, I believe that they. Uh, there's a scene, that scene specifically is referred to as a violent renovation. You put the two words together and think in your head what that looks like. <laughs> um. But it was made for a budget of $9 million, and it only made 13.3. But you got to remember what other movie came out the year that this came out. Um, this went up against Poltergeist. Oh, motherfucker. So you've got Steven Spielberg, who, you know, it was a big name at that time. Yeah. You've got a kid-friendly film, and yeah. then you've got this film, which... They barely were able to even get an actress to play the part because of the the nature of the story itself. So I mean, it it's not an easy sell for an audience. Yeah. Um, but I gotta say, between the two films, I mean, as an adult, like this one totally blows Polar Guys out of the water as far as the scares. I'm just gonna throw it out there. It does, know? and it's uh, <laughs> I will say it already. It, it's it's underrated, for sure. It's very underrated. Um. So we have, for the principal players, we've got Barbara Hershey playing Carla Moran. Uh, she's the mother. Uh, spoiler alert, she's, you know, she is the rape victim. We've already discussed that. And, I mean, she's a survivor. I mean, we get to the end of the movie. These attacks, I mean, they eventually ended, but it was a long time afterward, yeah. like the real-life person. So, um she was uh, actually Barbara Hershey's been in some recent films, uh, The Manor, which is a 2021 horror film. She was in that. Uh, she was in Black Swan, which was actually a really creepy and good movie. Have you ever saw that with Natalie Portman? Uh, bits and pieces of it. I, I have not really watched good. it in its, its entirety. It's more like psychosis, but like the way they blend the psychosis into it, it, it almost adds a supernatural element to it. Yeah. Um, she was in this movie that a lot of, I mean, I know what it is, but I mean, it's not, it's underrated too. a movie called a movie called falling down that has Michael Douglas in it. That's the one where he's got like the buzz cut and he's got the big thick, like black glasses or whatever. And he's just like, he's trying to go visit his daughter. Like along the way he gets robbed and then he gets like, you know, all this other stuff happens to him and he just breaks down and he just, he goes and gets a, pair of Uzis somewhere and he just starts laying waste to everybody because he just lost it. Ooh, I have um, not seen that. It is, it's, it's one of the big time. I mean, like it's a cult favorite movie. I mean, of a lot of people. So pretty, pretty interesting one. Uh, Barbara Hershey was in Insidious since we already talked about it. You <laughs> thought it was sinister. Uh, she was, 
she was in Insidious 1, Chapter 2, and The Last Key. She was in all three of them. See, those are movies I have actually seen. (laughs) (laughs) And she was actually in the Damien TV show, which is based upon The Omen, which we previously discussed in the first season. Um. Ron Silver is plays Phil Schneiderman or Schneiderman, the uh, psychiatrist, skeptic, asshole, and he was giving me extreme Bradley Cooper vibes in this movie. I don't know it's it's the way he talked and just the way he. I mean, if you if you've seen Bradley Cooper with a beard, this guy kind of reminded me of like an '80s version of him or something. It, oh it was God. weird. Uh, but Ron Silver was in Time Cop, uh, The Arrival, uh, Mr. Saturday Night, Oh God, You Devil, and uh, Shadow Zone, Undead Express, which is the TV movie. But something I heard about him on the commentary about this movie uh, that I thought was interesting, he became like a big-time conservative like later on in life and actually got into politics, and he actually campaigned with George W. Bush. Wow. Like he was one of his like, he was one of his, like people that helped him campaign. That's crazy. But I have not seen any of those movies he's been in. Um, you've not seen Time Cop at all with nope. Van Damme and okay. It's uh I don't watch good uh, movies, Reverend. To check out. <laughs> <laughs> uh we have uh David Labiosa who plays <laughs> Billy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I know, given the nature of the of this film, uh, who plays the protective older son. Um he hadn't really done many uh, much TV acting or well any acting at all before this movie. They actually like you know he he was very lucky to get into this movie based upon like his acting credits. But he was uh, and he's done a ton of TV stuff. But he was in Bulletproof with uh, uh, Adam Sandler and I believe it was uh, Damian Wayans or whatever Damon Wayans. I oh believe yeah, was two in that one. I'm checking uh, right have- now. Is it Damon? Yeah, it is Damon Wayans. Okay. Uh, we have Margaret Bly playing Cindy Nash. Uh, she's the friend of Carla's and wife to an overbearing jerk. And let's just, I mean, let's just pause and discuss this. Like, her husband was an asshole in this movie. Like, straight up. I mean, you know, her friend comes over and, like, she's got all these kids. And, like, you know, he do- he doesn't even want them to stay the friggin' night. He's pissed off they stay the night at his house. Like, they really, you know, it's like, why the fuck are these people here? Get them. You know, and then they, they leave. But it's just like dude i mean you can't at least have some sympathy for this woman i mean granted she didn't tell him what was going on but i mean you don't have to be a you know that kind of an asshole i mean to the kids at least there was two young little girls in the mix yeah i feel like um i i feel like this was probably an actual character because i know this is based on a true story but because of the stories about now this 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 movie was based on doris bither so but Based on how Doris Bither was as a person, you you would kind of understand a little bit why he was the way he was. It doesn't make it okay necessarily, um, but some people are allowed to feel the way they're, they want to feel for reasons. So we'll get into that. Still a jerk, though. Um, uh, still a jerk. Uh, Margaret Bly was in the original Italian Job, the 1969 version. And the funny thing was she was at Reese, uh, not too long ago in a uh, horrible, horrible movie. I've not seen it, so I, I'm, but I'm rating it based upon just what I've seen. Ginger Dead Man, if you've ever heard of that one. Uh, it's literally about a zombie gingerbread man. So that sounds go. right up yours and Noah's alley. <laughs> you guys watch films like that. 
I sometimes they're good, but a lot of times they're bad. They they got they got a there's a tipping point. Like they've got to be so so bad they're good. And like you know, some movies get to that point, but a lot of them don't. <laughs> uh, we have George. We have George Coe playing Doctor Weber, who's an unbelieving medical man and a liar. He's the guy at the end of the movie that, even whenever the uh, parapsychologist lady is like telling him, it's like, now do you believe us? Because he's seen all this shit happen in the experiment. Uh, he just kind of turns in around and just like denies everything. So he's, he's one of those assholes. You gotta wonder what's going on in people's heads that just deny, deny, deny. You know. <laughs> I believe in his case, I think they were insinuating that because where he was a man of science, it was two things. If he admitted to it, it like destroyed his worldview and he couldn't handle that. And the other part, and that's a big part of it, but the other part is I feel like his credibility as like a physician would have been hampered if he would agree to any of it. So it was more pride and, you know, like his, you know, inability to just accept it in general. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the biggest issue I have with a lot of skeptics. I mean, in the they they will get evidence that's almost irrefutable to anybody else, and they they bend over backwards to explain it. And, and you know, it's the same stuff they make fun of like believers for doing. Yeah, you know, believers will be like, "Oh, there's there's like specks of dust in this you know film that I just captured a ghost in," and everybody's just like, "No, those are floating specks of dust." You're an yeah, idiot. but then like. But then you get some of these skeptics that like actually see like legit supernatural stuff, and they're like, "Uh, well, uh, uh, I, I, I think I just had a moment uh, <laughs> where I, I just saw something, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm psychotic now." They'll, they'll go to the route of saying that yeah. crazy before they'll admit that it actually happened. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, uh, George Coe was in the Stepford Wives, the nineteen seventy five version. Um, he was in uh, Transformers uh, Dark of the Moon, <laughs> which is surprising. I mean, that's how, you know, some of the stuff he's been in. Done tons of TV and voiceovers and cartoons and video games, uh, including one episode of Family Ties with, you know, Michael J. Fox. Uh, he did one episode of Supernatural, so that's interesting. <laughs> and um, he was the voice of Woodhouse on Archer. I don't know if you ever saw Archer. Oh, my but, God. I uh, used to love Archer. But Woodhouse was like his cocaine addicted, like old, like butler that he had. And George Coe was the one that did the voice for him. Uh, we have Jacqueline Brooks, who plays Dr. Cooley, the uh, paranormal psychologist lady. Uh, she was in Naked Gun Two and a Half, uh, The Good Son, which is a very underrated movie with Macaulay Culkin and oh, uh, Elijah yeah. Wood. Love that movie. And uh, an old cheesy movie from back in the day called The Werewolf of Washington, which is, I don't know, it's, I mean, it's one of those movies that Elvira would play literally oh, okay. and like, make fun of. It's I was about to those. say, yeah, that doesn't, <laughs> I don't think that made the cut of American Werewolf in London or, you know. No, it's it's not on par with that. But The Good Son, now that's a legit movie. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, I when we get to like the the human evil series or whatever the season where we talk about just like, you know, regular people that are just evil. That's going to be one of them. It has to be when bad people go bad. Y'all <laughs> we have uh, Alex Rocco playing Jerry uh, Anderson, Carla's boyfriend. And he just a total wimp. Like you, you, he gets one supernatural experience and he pieces out. I mean, uh, would you not, uh, which, <laughs> 
if you love this woman as much as he claimed he did, yeah. then no. I mean, you would try to stay with her and figure it out. That, that That's the thing that pissed me off about him as a person. It's like he, he, he kept telling her, he's like, oh, baby, I, I'm, I'm just as soon as, I mean, he kept giving her excuses. He's like, I got to get this job done as soon as I am. I'll be ready to settle down. And then he supposedly is ready. And then she has an attack. And then he's just like, mm, okay, you're too much baggage. I can't deal with this. <laughs> uh I don't and, and know, And she's man. at her, and she, and she's at her bottom of the barrel at that yeah. moment too. It's like she is just, it's ridiculous. Uh, he was in the Godfather, uh, the Wedding Planner, which you've discussed earlier. It's not the Wedding Singer, but the Planner. So <laughs> you said that was he was pretty good. Uh, Smoking Aces, uh, Ready or Not, which is I really like Ready or Not. That yeah, is a good recent horror film, and uh, he's done tons of TV. Ready or not uh, was the one had, with the wedding night, right? Yeah, where she goes to the family, her her husband's family's house, and then they lock them in there and they start playing this game of like yes. hide and seek. But it's like basically they they'll kill you if they find you. That that's definitely a human horror contender. It is, but it's got supernatural elements. There's there's it does yeah. There's like a demonic pact going on in the background. So I don't I don't know. It's uh, that one's kind of a in between. We have, uh, to finish out the cast, we have Richard Brestoff playing uh, Gene yeah. Craft, who is one of the paranormal researchers. And then we have Michael uh, Aldridge playing George Nash, which is the other one. They're the two college students that she meets in the bookstore. Yes, and which, full disclosure, huh, I just need to put it out here. I am not going to be mature at all in this fucking, I keep hearing breast and labia, and I'm over here chuckling. It's supposed to be serious. <laughs> I am sorry, y'all. I can't, okay? It's how I cope. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's, it's, a. Uh, I mean, if you got to laugh it off, that's fine because it is a pretty serious subject. It is I mean, real. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's going to get deep y'all. So the synopsis of this movie, uh, it's based on a true story. Like we said, a single mother with two little girls and a teenage son becomes the target of an invisible entity, uh, physically attacked and raped. Uh, uh, she seeks, uh, Carla seeks assistance from a medical professional only to be gaslit and repeatedly told she's crazy. Uh, after having many witnesses to paranormal, to the paranormal activity and at her wits end, she seeks the assistance of paranormal researchers, uh, researchers at a local college to hopefully rid herself of the evil that has attached itself to her. Uh, windows explode, bolts of electricity fly and the battle for one woman's own sense of peace and body autonomy is fought. Um, and that's basically, you know, the gist of the movie. Um, do you want to discuss the lore right now or do you want to, I mean, yeah, I wait think it, and... no, I think it's a good time because, uh, yeah, oh, there's one, cause I'm afraid that what I discuss will kind of sway what people think about the movie, whether or not they believe her or not. Should I save it for the end? Yeah, you can save it for the end. Okay. You can save it for after the trivia and, you know, all that. So That's perfect. Um, so just discussing the movie, I mean, uh, the story, what did you feel about the story? Did it, did it work for you? Was it, you know, I mean. Uh, yeah, the, the, story, the story did work for me. I think that how they pieced it together, I mean, if it's, it's, it's based on true events, okay? This, this happened in someone's world and. The, the details she gave and how they put this in the film. Now, I know they're going to over-dramatize it for the movie and everything. But I really think that the script, the actors, especially having a hard time finding actors, and the music ties a lot of stuff in together. 
the visuals, it's 50-50. Some of them are great, and some of them are fucking terrible. So. Well, I'll agree with you. Well, I mean, just talking about the story, the one big sore point, and, and I'll get to that in the trivia that even the people in the movie admit to, is they tacked on that whole thing about the running the experiment and trying to freeze the ghost with nitrous, uh, you know, like, or, or frozen, or, you know, nitrogen or whatever. And it stands out like a sore thumb in the movie, like the rest of the movie, it, you could be, it's, it's almost like the changeling in the sense that you can believe it's in that real haunting, you know, that happened yeah. to somebody because the details are, you know, within the limits of what you could believe. But then when they get to that whole scene where it's like, you know, controlling this big, you know, uh, nozzle and like shooting this, uh, you know, nitrogen out and like, you know, and then it, it, this big old pile of ice and all that, that whole thing is just bullshit. It, it, it if they would have redid that, I think that would have improved the the end of the movie, I think. <laughs> uh, and funny that you mentioned that. That is actually one of my favorite scenes of the movies, but I'll tell you why. I, I will, will stand up for myself because I had read, again, I had studied this a few times. It's come across my, in my head a few times. And I had read that that did happen, and I swore there were pictures. And I'm not talking about pictures from the movie I had sworn I had read that that study actually did happen, and there was a picture similar, not nearly as creepy as the one that they tried to portray in the movie, and now that information does not exist anymore. So uh, the most I could think of is that it was debunked, but you would think that if it was debunked, that Googling that information would be like, hey, remember when they said that this happened? Well, actually, we've debunked that, and here's why, you know? <laughs> But it's just gone. It's it's the thank you Mandela effect. So I, La Urena is here to say that I had read that that had happened, and I, which is why I liked that scene of the movie. I still to this day like the scene of the movie. I still believe it happened. (laughs) Well, the the one thing I'll say for the scene is that it does have a lot of good tension to it. The score is just like the rest of the movie is great. I mean, Charles Bernstein honestly is the only person that (laughs) likes that whole that section of the movie that of the people that made it just because it gave him more things he could do, you know, with music than what he'd been previously doing in the film. Um, and I really like that whole scene of her standing up to the, the, you know, to the entity and, you know, right as it's like, looks like it's just getting ready to pour this stuff all over, you know, all over and then like, you know, kill her basically. Yeah. And she just, you know, looks at it and basically just, you know, throws down the gauntlets and says, fine, kill me, do whatever you got to do. I'm done. Yeah. Like, you have no power over me anymore. I'm, I'm through with this shit. Um, so I like all that stuff. It's just, it's, I mean, it's just so out there compared to, I mean, like I, I mean, like legit going in before that even happened, like the rest of the movie, like all the stuff that happens to her, like I was with her in the moments, like I, you know, this first time I'd ever seen this, it was legit affecting me. I was like, this is, you know, crazy. And, you know, it was believable to me. And then I got to that scene and I, that's whenever I stepped away from her, I was like, Aww. okay, this is science fiction now. Like I can't, you know, I, this is not, it, it got me back at the end a little bit whenever yeah. she has the scene at, you know, with the door closing and, yeah. you know. That was a good and whenever one. Whenever it actually has a voice, but like, I mean, but that scene kind of took me back a little bit. I I'll think... say, as far as the visuals, uh, I agree with you on that. That they they look like shit. the The electricity looks fine. the The scenes where it shows like the entity, like you know, where it's like you know, well, the ice in general, but mm-hmm. also where it's like forming like a green mass or whatever. Yeah, they look like shit. I mean, yeah. they, they just look bad. They did a really um, good job with uh, sensitive alert, um, showing the rubbing of her breasts. Like when it's oh, gra- yeah. grabbing and groping her, uh, damn. I mean, 
it, they did a good job is all I can say. There, uh, that was actually, I mean, it's in the trivia, and, uh, but that was actually done by Stan Winston who did like Jurassic Park and wow. Terminator and, you know, yeah, that was, that was his visual effects. So that's kind of why that stuff was so good. Um, the one thing that you might not have, I didn't appreciate it until I was watching it a second time. And it was pointed out in the commentary is the, the angles that the, the Sydney Fury, the director did as far as like the visual angles of the movie. He he has this thing in the movie where he actually tells part of the story through the way that he's got the camera position because like any kind of scene where Barbara Hershey's character is feeling like unsettled, the camera is cockeyed. Like when she's standing outside of her home before she goes back into it and she's got like that fear, you know, and then Hydred's playing in the background and she's afraid to go in there. It's nighttime. She's first time she's returned to the house after she spent that entire day with her kids at the beach. Yeah. And like she's standing outside and looking in. He's got it cocked at the angle of the street, and it's like it's uneven. Like you're looking at her at an angle, so it's like the world is is out of kilt, and it's kind of like playing into like her own mind at that point. Like she's out of tilt with the world too, and um, it doesn't just do it there. When she has those scenes where she's talking to uh, the doctor, uh, Sneederman or whatever, and like. It, they always film it in a way that where it, you, at least when they're talking is like doctor and patient, they're not on the same level. If you, hmm. if you look at it, she's like at a different angle side of the screen than he is. And it's angled differently. The only time in the movie when they're on the same level, I mean, realist, I mean, you know, realistically in the movie and in the camera angle is whenever he comes to her house at night and he's actually, you know, a person with her and he's like discussing her kids and all that. Then he put the camera angles right the normal way that you would normally see them. But anytime they're in the office, like Sneederman's like on one end, like, you know, he's, he's kind of like the one that you're, you know, that most of the cameras taken up with because it's like, it's almost from his point of view. He's like, he's only thinking of himself and, and she's kind of the focus of the, of the image, but like, she's way far off from like the, the main focus of the camera. And it's just, and it's almost, she's almost diminished in a way, even though she's, you know, at the other end and yeah. it's just kind of like, I mean, you're, you're almost like you're looking from his point of view. It's like, okay, I'm talking at you and, but you're not and and you're my focus, but you're, I'm not really li- listening to you. You know, it, it's, kind of conveying that yeah it's Um, almost like her reality is distorted too in a sense where it's just i don't know it's it's hard to explain but almost like okay you know this is this is not the right way of seeing things so that's why the camera is tilted and i'm not explaining it properly how i want to but uh, when it gets into the when i get into the lore i'll i'll touch on that a little bit yeah, but I'm I, but I'm just saying like it's a it's a very it's it's interesting and you notice it if you like look for it and I and he conveys a lot of stuff just by the way that he's got the camera tilted in the scene like he's he's kind of like he's almost working on the audience like you know psychologically himself it's yeah. like okay I'm you know positioning this in a certain way to make you feel off kilter or to make you associate more with this person or that person based upon what I've got in frame yeah god um, you know um i didn't even really i noticed it but i didn't so now that you're mentioning it, it's like oh yeah that that was a thing i mean they they laugh about it and it's in i mean i don't know if i put this in the trivia or not but they laugh about it when the editor was like uh trying to go back or whenever he was watching this stuff being done he said that at one point fury got to the point where he was at a 90 degree angle 
having the cameraman lay on a couch upside down trying to film something <laughs> and it wasn't working and they looked at him and said okay rain it back a little bit you've gone too far at this point wow because he was literally trying to he he was having them lay with their their head was off of the couch like you know flop back like upside down trying to get the <laughs> shot and he's like this it this isn't going to work you you've gone too far did he no, i'm just kidding <laughs> Um, now, I mean, so we've talked about the visuals, talked about the story a little bit, music, the acting is by Barbara Hershey's amazing. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, she, she, I mean, I, you can say what you want to, I mean, everybody else is fine in the movie, but she sells it like oh, 100%, yeah. and you have to, because this would have been like, this would have been laughed off and never, nobody would have even thought about this movie after the fact if she had played it like hammy or, you know, just, or was insincere, but like she, she does a good job of selling it. Yeah. I mean, again, she's being violently attacked and the, 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 you can, it's almost like you can feel physical pain. You could see the torture. You could see the fear. I mean, she had it all. It, it it really looks like it's happening. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's she she sells every bit of she. I mean, and the fear in particular, you're talking about, like that scene where she's in the in the bathtub, and you know, and and you start, and that was the one time in the movie where there's no sound or no music, by the mm-hmm, way, which uh, is fucking terrible because you don't expect because, it. <laughs> He, so they set it up to where it's like there's no music and you're sitting there it's like is she safe and all of a sudden the door closes and then she noticed that it closed and then she, the music the high dread kicks in and you just see the fear wash over her face she's like oh my god it's yeah. you know and then it happens so I mean and it's probably and it's one of the worst attacks in the movie too right after that like I mean it's very violent I, um, I, I thought I mean it was just terrible because of the situation but I thought the one in front of her kids was fucking horrible Oh yeah, where she's laying on the couch. That yeah. one was real bad. Oh yeah. Um, and, and the other thing is too the scene. I mean, that's it, sensitive subject, but the scene where it basically brings her to orgasm while she's dreaming, and oh, she yeah. realizes what what it did, and then you, just the violation on her face. Oh my god! It yeah. Just, it, it, you know, it, it just she just sells it a hundred percent. Yep. <clears throat> I want to say something too about this movie because before we get to anything else. This movie is like anybody who's making a woke feminist empowerment movie nowadays should go back and watch this and study it because it's the perfect way that you have female empowerment without making the rest of the characters in the, in the, you know, the movie or the show or whatever it is look like total idiots just to hold up your, your female, you know, protagonist because I mean, yeah, the doctors are jerks, but they're competent in what they're doing. It's just their, you know, their failure is that they, they don't know how to be empathetic and listen to her and like actually be there for her. But they're it, that, I mean, but that doesn't mean that they're these idiots or whatever. They, they're scientifically and, and, you know, and as far as like medically, they, they've got, they're legit. It's just that they're not like doing what they need. Their one feeling is they're not listening to her. They're not listening. And, and, and even um, if they thought she was crazy, Okay, cool. She's crazy. How are you going to help her? Because there's not much. I mean, I think, did they give medication? I don't know if I saw that one time in this or if I mixed that with another film. They were trying to give her medication. Uh, Sneederman was, I mean, there are scenes where he legit is, you can see that he cares. I mean, he said, you know, Silverman sells or Ron Silver sells the, uh, 
the empathy, I mean, uh, to a certain extent, because like whenever he sees it, you know, he thinks that she's going to go down this path where these charlatans, these parapsychologists are going to, you know, maybe make her psychosis worse because that's what he still thinks it is. Yeah. Like he, he legit has concern for her, but I mean, but what I'm saying is, is just like, she is still strong despite the fact that everybody else in the movie is, is, I mean, they have their feelings, but they're not like, you know, I would, I'm going to reference Thor. Like he is made to look like a total idiot in his own movie. Just so Natalie Portman is made in, in the newest, uh, you know, love and thunder. just so that she is like a more empowered female Thor. And you don't need that. I mean, yeah. actually the, the female is stronger if she's, you know, still competent and able to stand side beside a man, you know, the man the who's, who can do his job the right way. Yeah. Um, and, and, I've heard that the new Predator movie actually does a good job of that. That that new one, Prey, I believe, yeah. on Hulu is actually it, it does a good job of not making the the males like just total idiots. Like they they might you know disqualify the female just based upon their assumptions, but that doesn't mean that they're you know the, I mean they're just right off the bat like well she's automatically perfect at hunting and and they suck you know or whatever you know that which is. I mean, I always relate Star Wars to that. They everybody in the movie had to suck compared to Ray for her to be like the the one basically, and it's just like you don't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't have to emasculate a man to empower a woman. A female empowerment can exist on its own. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I w- I will always go back to like uh, Ripley and the aliens. Oh, God, movies. we always I mean, yeah Ripley. The- I mean, she stood up and she did what she needed to do. And the guys in the movie, they, I mean, you know, they were competent too. It's just that, you know, she was the survivor. She knew, I mean, she was stronger at, at the, you know, survival part of it. And I mean, but that didn't, she didn't have, they didn't have to, you know, take away from them to make her stand out. And she didn't need her um, tits to stand out either. <laughs> but, and I've seen previews of the new She-Hulk, and they're doing that same shit with that. They're making that Mark Ruffalo Hulk. He's he's got. I mean, even whenever he does like you know his hand clap thing that they've or thunder clap that they've not really shown in any of the movies prior, where he slaps his hands together mm-hmm. and creates like a sonic boom. Like hers is stronger than his. Oh, like that's, they course. have to go that route, you know. And I'm just like, really? There's a lot I of mean, anger in tiny women. Okay. <laughs> She is a tiny woman. She might be a Hulk, but inside, <laughs> she's a little tiny woman. But, but anyways, uh, do you want to go on to the trivia, and then you can kind of discuss, like, the, the real uh, quote-unquote story or whatever, so we can, you know, kind of get an alternate perspective versus the one in the movie? Yeah. Are you going to go through the trivia first, or do you want me to go into the lore? Uh... I guess you can go through the lore first because the trivia, I mean, actually brings up some of that. So Okay, so my information comes from Ranker and from uh, Wikipedia. I mean, why not? Uh, Wikipedia kind of breaks it down pretty basic, but Ranker is a little more uh, empathetic in, in terms of it just kind of breaks down, hey, this is who she was. She was sexually assaulted and tormented by an unseen force. Um, so th- that's basically how they describe her. Uh, they said the haunting of Doris Bither was a true nightmare scenario. She was being raped and her children were being assaulted. Now, when they say assaulted, the children were kind of being slapped around, thrown against walls, things like that. Thank, okay. I'm, I'm glad you specified. Yes, I had to specify because I had not heard. I had heard about her son getting hurt pretty badly. I had not heard about the other kids. 
Um, it also states that and this okay. is com- this is conflicting, but it also states that she had she endured this torture until she died. And in the movie, it's a little conflicting. It's like, oh, it kind of happens here and there. And then I had read in another article that it had stopped after she kind of moved. I don't know. She had to move a few times, and it had finally stopped. So she I moved had like five times. Yes. Yeah. So I had not heard that that she had to endure this until she died. So this is kind of news to me. Um. So I yeah, that's not what I've heard. I mean, because on the commentary they said it was after about five moves it finally stopped. Yes. Now, in 1974, which is, you know, before, obviously, the movie, uh, she, a mother of four was living in her, uh, with her son in a small house in Culver City, California, where she began to suffer a series of physical attacks that she became were perpetrated by a group of ghosts. I had read, and multiple times, that it wasn't three men or three you know, ghosts. It was uh, one spirit and two, like almost like small spirits that kept her legs open. Like she th- yeah, said like that they it, felt small. That's that's what my trivia had. It was like two would hold her down while the third one was the one that actually did the rape. Yes. So, so and she it, she had described them as smaller. I don't think she ever said she saw them. It's just how they felt in terms, but they were very powerful. So she did say that. Um, okay. So it says this may seem far fetched, but the concept of spectral rape, which is First time hearing that for me goes back to the time of ancient Greek literature and modern scientists have tied this phenomenon to sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis affects 20% of the population. I mean, I, we've experienced that not to this degree, but <laughs> and sometimes yeah. occurs when a person wakes up before finishing their REM cycle. But Bither was experienced this sometimes what she was experiencing was much more terrifying. And as we see in the movie, not even close to being asleep by any means. Unless you're trying to claim she was narcoleptic on top of it, which is an extreme jump. I mean, that's the only way you could even claim that. Yeah. Um, let me see. While she was alive, Bither claimed that she wasn't just attacked by one, but three different entities, which we did explain on a regular basis. Two of them, she claimed, were small creatures that would hold her down, while the largest of the entities would be the one who raped her. Her sons, oh my God, this is terrible, got so used to seeing the ghost that they referred to the ghost that they saw as Mr. Who's It. Wow. They fucking named it. Uh, interesting. Um, of course, one of the sons indeed tried to stop the rape, but he was just tossed. Like, he was just thrown, and that does happen in the movie. And he actually, and, and here's a, I'm, I'm going to throw some trivia in here while we're discussing this. The son broke his hand, or in the, you know, in real life, whenever he was thrown thrown back, the the actor who played her son in this movie actually broke his hand when he was thrown back in the scene. Damn. Kind of strange. That's fucking creepy. Um, <laughs> her sons were I, primarily the ones who corroborated the story. I have not heard from the daughters at all, but they might choose to be anonymous or maybe just not speak out too much. Um, but as I had mentioned before, her, her kids were also, you know, abused in terms of being pinched, uh, having bite marks on them. Things like that. Um, Let me see. Oh, one of the sons claimed that uh, whenever he listened to Black Sabbath or Uriah Heep, which I had not heard of, that there would be an increase in paranormal activity around the home. He claims that the music would set off a chain reaction of orbs appearing around the house um, and lights would turn on and off. Um, If you have that information, sir, why are you playing? Why are you doing that? You know? 
Right. I mean, why are you uh, bringing it about if you know that's what triggers it? Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. So the paranormal investigators, which we'll get into the movie, they studied her extensively, but their presence only made matters worse. Yeah, I mean, I guess the movie does kind of portray that a little bit. It kind of gets worse for her because it's like she's seeking help and the spirit doesn't really want her to. Um, And then the theories for this haunting range from scientific to sexist in terms of uh, people trying to kind of pin down their own reasons why she thinks that this was happening. Um, You know, if it really happened, it, it, it gets pretty fucking ugly. Um, All in all... Yeah, like in the movie... Like in the movie, Sneederman uh, is talking about how it's she's self-inflicting these wounds because of past sexual trauma is what he's basically telling her. Yeah. Um, residents of the house, I mean, this is, this is a no-brainer. The haunting may not have been from a ghost, but shocker, everybody, a poltergeist. I, who would have, who, how could you know? You know, who's to tell? Uh, residents of the house after she moved away confirmed that it was she who was haunted, not the house. Um, well, it did move with her, so, I mean, that that is a thing. Yeah. And it says the film is horrifying, but ultimately a loose interpretation of more horrifying real events. Um, I don't know why, but following Bither's cry for help among the paramor- paranormal investigative community, a book was written about her experience titled The Entity by Frank DeFolita. In 1982, he adapted his book for the screen and Sidney J. Fury. The director, most well-known for the films Lady Sings the Blues and Ladybugs, directed the piece according to an interview. Uh, Fury went out of his way to keep from learning anything about the actual case, and the film is very loosely adapted, is a loose, very loose adaption of the actual events. And I have to agree with that because that was from Ranker. But we go to the Wikipedia page, and we find out that, in a nutshell, Doris Wither doesn't state this in the movie and it doesn't state this in the book and a lot of articles don't state this either but she was basically uh they were they were what is that called when you move into a house that you don't own um you just uh, like an abandoned house if you will oh a squatter squatter her and her kids were squatting in the house which hey you know she's a single mom with four kids you got to do what you got to do to survive i mean there's no i'm not even going to give judgment to that but Prior to her ending up in this situation where she had to squat into this quotation mark abandoned house, which how abandoned was it if there's people moving in afterwards, you know? I'm I'm gonna go with it's not abandoned. I'm gonna go with it maybe it was just on the market. Um, I, I get you. It's like they were uh, between showings or, well, I mean, they, they had like shown it and, and it hadn't like really got any traction. And so they left it, let it cool a little bit on the market, let it sit there. And then she moved in while it was sitting there. Yeah. So Doris Bither contacted parapsychologist Barry Taff in 1974 to relate alarming, alarming phenomena she experienced. At the time, Taff was working in the now defunct parapsychology lab run by Thelma Moss, uh, characters we probably will not meet, but we'll meet versions of them in the film. Um, And with the assistance of another uh, parapsychologist, Uh, they conducted preliminary interviews in her claims. The interview revealed Bither had a history of physical and substance abuse, along with a traumatic childhood. So she had a lot going on. Investigators also found that Bither and her four children were living illegally in a condemned home, which, again, I don't think it was condemned, uh, that was in severe disrepair. Again, I find this information to be somewhat false. I mean, people moved in after her. 
The other alleged she kinda was weird a, that yeah that's that's kind of close to that that place I was telling you I saw that kid's face that's kind of weird yeah <laughs> I mean the description it's kind of in between the other alleged she was attacked and raped by one or more individuals in Invisible entities, more benign manifestations recounted by Bither included luminous, transparent human shapes and poltergeist events. Uh, she died in 1999. I really didn't want to get into the investigation because, I mean, we're going to go into that. But ultimately, the two sides are, hey, this horrible tragedy happened to this woman from this you know, time frame to this time frame. These are the people who witnessed it. This is the investigation. But then you have... This is the story that I hear most, actually, is the Wikipedia case where they're like, hey, she she kind of had some crazy stuff going on. And so it makes it hard because it's like, uh, it, was she creating this in her head, you know? And how old were her kids to the point where did she have them believing this, you know? Maybe they saw what they saw and they don't know because she's being raped by an invisible force. So it's really hard for me. I'm kind of on the fence. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, it, it, it's, but it's also one of those things, sadly, I mean, you know, that it, it's just like a real rape case. It's like, you know, there, there's all these, you know, these stories for, I mean, some of these stories come from women that like have all this history so that it's hard to believe them when they come out with this stuff. It's like, I was raped. It's like, oh, but you're the, you know, but you, you know, freely sleep with, you know, you know, guy after guy. So like, how are we supposed to, so it's almost like, you know, it's one of those situations. It's like, you know, because she had all this other stuff going on, like, you know, it's, it, it's just like a, a regular rape case in the sense that it's, it's hard to, you know, for, you know, like there's all this, you know, baggage built in to, to kind of almost like say, you know, poop it away and say, okay, it's, you know, like you're, you're overreacting to something and you're maybe making some of this up. She's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that is a, a word that was created by the Greeks for just women in a very yes, sexist way. So. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I do want to throw out one more tidbit information now. Take this with a grain of salt because, one, back in the 70s, DNA testing wasn't quite at its peak. Um, and I don't know that they would have been able to prove it. But allegedly, after one of her rapes which is one of the reasons i thought that the lab case was real they did discover like uh, semen in her but the way they described it was that just like they like it was paranormal of some sorts you know yeah so i i know that was another article i had read again probably a long time ago uh, I'd probably have to dig deep to find that information. I really don't want to, but this is stuff that I had heard that, hey, after one of the attacks, you know, she did get someone to come in. Kids cooperated the story. They were there, and they were able to find some uh, samples, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, it's one of those hard, I mean, cases that's tough to judge because it's, it's just like we were discussing with the changeling. I mean, you know, everything that the guy who, you know, the story that the changeling is based on said happened to him. It happened to him while he was by himself. So how are we supposed to believe that he was legit? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, it, it, there's, there's no, the only thing is, is that like this, you know, perhaps more so than the changeling has like more people to try to, you know, vouch for it. Even if like you said, they're, they're also, there's some bias built in there because they're like people close to her. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it 
it, it's tough. Like, I mean, anytime you've got one of these things going on and it just kind of depends upon how skeptical, skeptical you are about that sort of thing. Yeah. As far as I know too, I have not heard in my research of looking into this about Doris trying to gain any kind of fame or monetary um, compensation for this whatsoever. And so that leads me more on the other side of, hey, you know, either she had some messed up stuff going on and she really did truly believe this or this really happened and she just wanted it to stop. Yeah, I mean that that you're right. That lends a lot of uh, credence to the story, just because of the fact that she wasn't trying to, you know, seek it. It was uh, De Felita that actually came out and you know wrote about it, but it, she didn't really have much to say about it one way or the other. She actually cut ties with him just as soon as she moved to Texas, which is like I think the first place she moved to, maybe right after she she moved from California. Yeah. So. Anyways, either way, I mean, I, I feel bad for her regardless of whether she was crazy, like she was called so many freaking times, or whether some, this was legit something that happened to her, you know? Yeah, either way, she was suffering. I mean, and there's, I mean, it, yeah, and she never got any help. It just, it eventually stopped one way yeah. or the other. Either, well, you know, yeah, so. at least we thought it stopped or it had slowed down. And you think she's getting a happy ending. Again, horrible term to use for this film. But at the end, you really think you're getting a happy ending. But then you kind of read the final caps and it's like, hey, she still kind of experienced it here and there. And I wonder if that was even better for her or if she's still every day. You got to be like, it's today the day, you know. Yeah, the only thing that the movie does give you hope for is that now she has got hope. Like she's she's. Regardless of what happens, she's going, I mean, she's not going to give in to it. It's, it, she's, you know, it's like she's mentally, she, she's toughened herself to the point where she can deal with it. And that's, I mean, that's sad, but that's like the best that, you know, that she can, you know, she can get out of the situation. You know, one thing I had not read or it, this is very personal, but it lends a little bit more, I don't know, uh, and proof is when women are, are are sexually assaulted, there's more than just bruises on the body. There's actual damage to your organs, you know, uh, your, mm-hmm. your feminine ones, if you will. And other than finding a little bit of semen, any signs of trauma, you know? So they did or they didn't? Find I have those. not read that about other than other okay. than them saying, yeah, we found some strange semen, you know, which ill. <laughs> But, I mean, like, was there other signs or was there any ripping, tearing? uh, Was there lubrication involved because uh, ectoplasm? I mean, I hate to make a joke. I'm not trying to. But, like, uh, it seems like it would be a dry situation if you get what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. So, I I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's a lot to to take in, you know? God, I keep Uh, the innuendos, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, you can't get away from I them. Can't, yeah. uh, um 
I guess before I get into trivia, one thing I did think about just because it's getting dark here and looking at the the lamp here, I, the lighting in this, especially the nighttime scenes, I actually loved in this movie just because it was all natural lighting and it, it like I don't know, it gave it like a a real feel to it. Like you know, it's like just the you know the lamps and the soft lighting and all that. It it helped. I mean, it wasn't one of those movies that's like overly, like if you look at it, the, the darkness is, you know, appropriate to, to kind of set up the, the mode of being like heightened, like, you know, uh, awareness or being scared. There's just enough light to illuminate the scene, but there's none of that like you see in like, you know, some of these modern horror movies, they almost get like a soap opera effect where they've got so many lights going on that like you can see too much, you know, yeah. it's, you know, and. I feel like this was more natural when it came to that, and I, I appreciated that when I was watching it. Oh, yeah, because in during the violent renovation, if you will, um, when all the lights are getting busted out, basically, and she hits the ground, and then it gets dark, it's almost like the only lighting there is, like, maybe natural moonlight, and they did a really yeah. good job of making it look real, so... Yeah, and it and it just adds to the creepiness of it because I mean, if you're going to put yourself in that situation, it's it's got to be like legit lighting, and unless you're doing some kind of thing weird, th- I mean, you know, extra thing like they did in Donnie Darko, where they specifically wanted his face to light up from the bottom so that it kind of you know gave you that hint that he was like in his own mind or you know or whatever. I mean, unless you're going for that type of effect having too much lighting actually ruins the atmosphere that you're trying to set up in a horror movie. It gave just enough lighting, which I also think was, I, again, hate to say this, but it's the only way I can word it. Kept it a little bit more classy because you know what's happening. We don't need to see the full thing to know that something terrible is happening to her. It shows literally just enough without overdoing it. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Like they they cut away just enough to be able to to not because I'll be honest with you, like rape scenes in movies are like a the my I, I hate I, I'll I mean like I will legit I mean if we have to watch it for a future season like the Hills Have Eyes and stuff like that or you know the Last House on the Left fine but I, I i hate those movies to go back even and try to rewatch them just because i can't stand those scenes because they linger on it so long they make it you know that much worse than what it is yeah anyways and like you know and this movie was i mean it gave you her plot but it cut back enough to where you don't have to sit there and you know be just you know traumatized you know yourself by watching it you know? yeah it's just weird because like i said we talked about her, you know her as an actress and it's like you're like, okay, it's happening. I don't see another person. This is terrible, but also thanks for keeping it classy somewhat, you know? Like, yeah, she does such a good job. And I mean, just horrible because it doesn't, it doesn't look cheesy because some scenes, the noises that are being made can almost be misinterpreted as potential enjoyment. You know, and that is not at all the case. She is being tormented and she hates it. Yeah, she and even the scene where she does enjoy it, she realizes that it was, you know, what was happening to her to make her enjoy it. And then you and you just see the, the revulsion. Just, oh, yeah. You know, in oh, her face. So that 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 was that was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so you covered like the first part of this trivia about the real life one. So I'll skip over it. Okay. I, I do want to say that I said it was the hand that the sun broke in, in both the movie and then the, it was actually their arms. Like the actor broke his arm in the scene and, and the real, and the son in real life broke his arm whenever they were trying to fight, you know, the entity away, you know, off their mom. And then like, you know, they, and then they got thrown. I wonder if that um, sent a chill through them. Like the, the, the son, if he, if, and when he found out that information, like, Oh my God, you know? Well, this they there was supernatural stuff that happened around this movie too, just like with the Frighteners, and that's what I was going to start in on here. So, according to the editor of the film, uh, Frank J. Uriosti, uh, the uh, supernatural activity occurred during the editing process. Uh, he was originally a skeptic, and he said that he was convinced by the writer Frank DeFolita that the phenomena experienced by Doris Bither or Bither, uh, actually, you know, the, the basis for Carla was real. So he, you know, he when he came to this, like he was like, I don't know, I don't believe in this shit, you know. And then like once he started talking to Frank and kind of got more of like what actually, you know, like his version of it at least, it kind of sold him on the, you know, sold him on it a little bit, but. He said when they went, they went to a local theater to watch the dailies back, which is, you know, where they capture the film for the day. Cause they didn't have like, you know, a way to play it back. That's yeah. something I didn't even realize till I was watching a recent movie where they were talking about that. And uh, I think it might've been, I was watching Django or something and, and Frank Nero, the actor in that was talking about, it. he said back in those days, you know, whenever they played, whatever they got on the camera reel, they didn't know what they had until yeah. the editor played it later Oh that my night. God. <laughs> we take for granted how good we actually have it. And we still, get shitty editing <laughs> yeah we still get marvel movies that's got shit <laughs> editing in them but anyways um so like so he they, they took it to the local theater that night to uh, a little small theater to kind of you know play it back and see how you know what they got on footage and they said when they started up the the you know the the projector they heard this horrible sound and they's like what the and and you know frank was like what is this what or, or i mean well or curiosity was like uh, saying like what's going on and and like he what they realized was every time they'd turn the projector on they it was one of those uh those uh movie theaters that had like a big thick curtain that would come in front of the screen like yeah. it would close and then they would you know open up whenever they wanted to show the movie well that thick curtain was ripping on its own from top to bottom every time that they played the movie uh uh-uh. uh and he said that he realized what was happening and he just looked at him and he said, I'm out. I'm, I'm getting out of here for the day. You, you all can stay if you want to, but I'm not dealing with this shit. So, <laughs> yeah. um, he said that one night while he, uh, that he had to step out for a phone call with somebody and he left his, uh, two assistant editors into the, the editing room to kind of, you know, finish up the job. And he told him, he said, stay right here. Yeah. This is a quick phone call. I'll be right back. Well, when he came back, they were both gone. And he was just like, what in the hell, or, you know, was happening here? He thought they were just a bunch of, you know, that he's, and so he calls one of them up, eventually gets a hold of them, and they're at their home at that point. And he's like, so what the hell did you, why did you leave? And they, and they told him, it's like, as soon as you left, one whole wall of the back room of the editing room was covered in flies. Uh-uh. Just the whole wall. And they said, we, we saw that, and we just got the hell out of there. Yeah, gross. Um, uh, and then he said that there was another time where the, the, the vault that they were keeping the film in as they were f- uh, filming it, uh, was, it was being guarded, you know, had like this security guard that was like nearby. Well, they would, you know, like keep it just, you know, propped open or whatever so they could get in and out. They said that, that w- uh, one night while the security guard was on duty, it just slammed shut by itself for no reason. 
Goddamn. <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of crazy that they had, you know, stuff like that happening. And whenever you combine it with the fact that the, you know, the, the actor who played her son had, you know, the same kind of problem with a broke arm that her son did, you know, that, that Doris just did in real life. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. 100%. It, it is. This is definitely one of those. We haven't had a really good cursed film in a minute and it's coming back. It's getting there. It's getting close. Yeah. I mean, so uh, Barbara Hershey uh, states that although she's proud of this film, uh, she's never been happy with a part of the film where they conduct the experiment, like I said earlier. Um, and she, uh, now Frank Curiosity and even director Sidney Fury went on to admit that they wished that they'd spent the time to uh, come up with an alternative part of the film for that, that they felt it was a little too over the top. But at the time they, you know, that's what they had and they were just, you know, on the budget. So they, they went ahead and filmed it, but they, they all wish that they'd kind of just did something different. Well, I mean, um, and I disagree because I still stand by that. I like <laughs> that portion again, knowing, even knowing that it didn't really happen, but there's only so many violent renovations, violent rapes, throwing people around that you can do. Without having something else. Now, yes, could they have thought of something else? Maybe. I thought that for the time, the 1980s, it was kind of genius because that, I guarantee you somewhere that was something that somebody had tried before. Like, okay, we're going to freeze this ghost so we could see it if it actually exists, you know? Uh, the only thing I can think of, I mean, and is that they would have had to have had, I mean, because the, the best thing out of that scene, and I think they all admitted it was the, her standing up to the, I mean, because I was getting ready to, that's another piece of trivia I was getting ready to go into, is her standing up to the ghost, you yeah. know, where she, you know, just like I said. So if they would have had a scene where she had just a massive, you know, well, like just like this horrible, like everything was like breaking around her, like, you know, uh, everybody around her was freaked out. Like even the parapsychologist, like if it happened in her home or some, something like that, they could have had that same scene in that setting. And then that would just been her point where she stood up and said, I don't care anymore. I I'm done with you. And then like, then they could have had that end scene where she just, you know, grabbing her stuff in the house. She has the one final moment with the spirit, you know, and then she just walks out and, and that's it. You know, they could have done that and that would have probably been more natural whether or not it would have been, you know, I don't know. It could have been hokey in its own right. It just kind of depends. Yeah. I don't know. I still um, like it. Uh, Hershey says in the scene where the entity is uh, using the liquid nitrogen to frighten and harass her during the aforementioned experiment, uh, she originally, her original delivery of the lines to it, daring it to go ahead and kill her, uh, that she wasn't afraid, was far, true, far too dramatic and overdone. She said that the director, Fury, uh, stopped her, said, you need to redo that. That was bad. Like, he outright told wow. her, it's like, that was bad. <laughs> And she uh, she came back at it, and that's kind of she's got almost a whisper in the movie. But she and, but she admits she's like she was almost screaming the line originally. Yeah, and she really liked the way that it came out. You know, whenever she it was more it was more powerful, even though it was more subdued the way that she did it the second time. Yeah, yeah that's a good director um, for you. <laughs> he just outright told her, he's like, no, that sucks. Yeah. Redo that. You're you're terrible. Uh, uh, now, she does go on to state that she thought including the voice of the entity at the end of the film was not necessary and it didn't fit with the mood of the film preceding it, but uh, the director or the editor, neither one didn't feel the same as her in that instance. And 
I got to agree with them. I think hearing that, you know, that last little thing where it's like, welcome home, cunt, you know, or whatever that it yeah. says. It's just it like. It doesn't say get out. That, and uh, No, it just it just says welcome home, cunt. And then like, you know, and then it slams the door or right after it slams oh. the door and then she just. I thought, okay, wait, we're talking about the very end of the film, right? Yeah, like right before she walks out and then gets in the car and drives away. Uh, I have a completely different recollection of what I heard. Oh, God, it's the Mandela effect. <laughs> no, it doesn't tell her to get out because it doesn't want her to leave. It just it, it says you're here now, you're stuck, and then, you know, and then it, and then the word that uh, Daphne doesn't like, you know, yeah. gets thrown out there. So. It does say welcome home, cunt. Holy, color me <laughs> fucking surprised. I thought it was allegedly letting her go. And I think that I created that in my head because you, like I said, you kind of get the the fake happy ending story of, hey, well, she was everybody good. And she was raped a little less after this, you know? So, oh, yeah, uh, it's like, yeah. It gets better. <laughs> I I don't know. Um, can we can we just get off topic real quick? And I just want to discuss very briefly how I did not know that the actor that played Vecna actually did Vecna's voice. Oh, you didn't know that? I did not. So when you sent me that TikTok, I was like, no fucking way. That's so <laughs> badass because he's such a frail, skinny guy. And that is the end of that topic. So, yeah, he uh, look up the Jimmy Fallon episode, folks. If you're trying to figure out what we're talking about, it's like he's talking to the guy who plays Vecna, and uh, he's having him read off these like uh, I think one of them's Britney Spears line or something like from one of her songs, and it's just in Vecna's voice, and it's hilarious. Uh, yes, uh, his name is. Excuse me. Why? Oh, come on, J- Jamie Campbell Bauer. Bauer. I think that's his name. Okay. Uh, I, I did not know that. But anyways, yes, uh, in case anyone's looking up the actor. But yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> so uh, the director and editor felt that the, they, they both felt that, that uh, the the entity speaking in the movie added a nice little punch before you left the theater. And I, I feel like it did. I oh, like I did. It, it, was, it sent know. chills down my spine. So I, I felt like it worked. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it kind of saved the movie a little bit for me toward the end just because, like I said, I was pulled away by the experiment. But then whenever that happened, it brought me back, and, and it was more real at that moment. And I was just like, okay, that, that works. Yeah. Um, Martin Scorsese or Scorsese uh, listed this movie as his one of his top 11 scariest horror films of all time. And as we previously discussed, The Changeling is also on that list. Yeah, there's so. literally two podcasts before this one. I think it's episode 28, folks. So uh, go check it out. <laughs> Uh, for the scenes where the entity assaults Carla Moran at night, uh, touching her breasts while she's sleeping, the visual effects team designed a prosthetic breastplate and a full body that could be indented uh, from below, pretending that fingers touch her body. And they did a um, good job. It, yeah. It, I mean, it's really good. And basically the only part of Barbara is like, they've got her underneath the bed and like her and just her head is like the only part that's like connected to the chest plate, but it works. Yeah. It's like one of those um, body cakes, you know, and you just got the person's head stick out. <laughs> <laughs> uh the effects in this scene were made by stan winston who did the effects works like i said for terminator and Pumpkinhead of all things I, I love Pumpkinhead. that's one of my favorite horror movies um in july 2012 uh interview published in remore magazine the film's director sydney fury said that he did not consider this to be a horror film so we're what? back to that bullshit again yeah 
Excuse me, so I don't think so. You I can mean, get off of that. How, how many people have we heard say that? Like Kubrick, I think, said that about The Shining. We heard that about um, Robert Eggers doesn't consider The Witch a horror film. Uh, and then he's went on to say that, you know, he's not, he, it, he's embarrassed by it now, now that he's big time. And um, I don't know. I just get tired of that. It's like, own up to it. It, it was a good horror film. Yeah. It's one of the most beloved in the genre. Embrace it. Okay. What did he think it was? A fucking drama? It wasn't a rom-com, yeah, sir, he, despite the jokes that I'm making. <laughs> I, I guess he felt like it because he, uh, according to the guy who was doing like the audio commentary, uh, which he had some good information, but the guy who did the audio commentary on the special edition that I've got of this movie, uh, like was uh, like, he wrote a book about Sidney Fury. So it was a lot of extraneous information about the director. And I wanted more information about the scenes specifically. Yeah. But whenever he was talking about Sidney Fury, he was talking about how he, he worked, he had a theme that he worked on from movie to movie. And I guess like the feminist, you know, empowerment angle, like he was, it was something he was continuously working on. And so that this was one of the movies in that line, you know, and, and I guess that's why he don't want it to be, he does consider it a horror film. It's more to him, more like a, you know, like a, a female drama or something. I don't know. Like, you know, one of those type things. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> that's all I got to yeah, say. I, yeah. I, it's bullshit. But, uh, so actresses, Jane Fonda, Jill Clayburgh, uh, Bette Midler and Sally Field were initially sought for the role played by Barbara Hershey. Um, okay, you know how we go through this and we'll be like, there's no way this actor could, this actor could, no way. I could see potentially Jane Fonda or Sally Field filling this role, but Barbara Hershey. Those two, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I could, uh, uh, those two would work. Bette Midler, I have no idea how that would have went. Mm-mm. <laughs> no. She's uh, good at other stuff, but, but not, not this. But I, I feel like Sally Field and Jane Fonda played characters that were similar to this one in different ways. So yeah. I feel like they could have pulled it off. Yeah. Um, um, she Sally Field definitely has a face for, I've seen her in some uh, drama films uh, where the, the pain and the torment in her face, oof, yeah, she, she could sell it. Yeah. Um, according to the producer, nearly every actress turned them down due to the nature of the film, including actresses who had yet to make a real name for themselves. Mm, um, sorry yeah, now. The, <laughs> yeah, it was, it's kind of funny because they were like, you know, the way they were talking about, it, they were like, these women really didn't have careers to be able to turn, you know, to, to, but they, but they just felt like, you know, that's beneath me. I'll wait for the next job, you know, that sort of thing. That or morally it's, it's hard to kind of. I don't know. I mean, because this is a, this was also a different time, you know. Maybe well, they just they barely didn't. got Barbara Hershey into the movie. I mean, she discusses that on the interview with her, and she talks about it. And she's like, "I was real hesitant." She said, "This is the kind of movie that can end your career. Oh if yeah, it's not done the right way. It can end it before it even uh, starts." Um, but girl, you sold it. So good job. And she's and she's still working as of twenty twenty one or twenty two. So I mean, you know, it there looks you go. Really good. the The woman sold her soul for sure because. She, and she doesn't look fake yeah, good either. Not, yeah, she's, I mean, she's got grayish white hair now, but I mean, yeah. like, she doesn't have like, I mean, you know, the lines in her face are not, you know, dramatic or anything. Yeah, she looks um, naturally pretty. So composer Charles uh, Bernstein's score for this film is exerted, is actually used in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. So I don't know, I didn't know that, and I'm going to go back and try to find it now. Oh, that I know which that is that 100% where I got this sound right here. <laughs> it is from the Inglorious Bastard soundtrack. 
Are you serious? Okay. I am not joking. <laughs> I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. See the bear Jew again? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie was originally planned to be released in 1981, but did not debut in theaters until late 82 with some territories, including Australia and its American release uh, in the U.S., uh, not launching until uh, early 83. Uh, generally, this film was released a, a short time after a, the Poltergeist, so that's, and, and that's part of the reason why it didn't do so well. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, it was another... Poltergeist came first. Poltergeist, you know, was the was was uh, you know low enough rating and was you know had the Spielbergian effect enough. I mean, despite Toby Hooper being the director, we all know that Spielberg had his hands all over it. That it was able to draw in more audiences. Uh, speaking of that, this is weird. They actually wanted Craig T. Nelson, who played the dad in Poltergeist, <laughs> to be uh, to be Barbara's boyfriend in this movie. I I could totally <laughs> that would have been. That would have been really weird for him to have done both of these movies back yeah. to back if that would have happened. Well, th- this one was released um, so much later than it naturally should have been, but I could totally see him in that role. Well, they said that Sidney Fury was uh, was really wanting him for the part, but the thing is that, that it's one of the few times in his career whenever he was turned down by the producers for a secondary character. They just they wanted the guy who played the, her boyfriend, the, the actor who played her boyfriend in the movie, uh, so much more than Craig T. Nelson. They were just like, nope, you're not getting this. We're not even going to give you the option, wow. so don't even ask for it. You know what? You have to admit that it worked. Um, this This could have been a film that ruined his career. It, well, that's true. Because I mean, how relevant was the boyfriend like... in this film? I mean, he was there, and you you definitely get your your fucking nipples pinched by him. But I mean, uh, he he's not he wasn't the star of the show. No, he wasn't. I mean it, but I'm sure that Craig T. Nelson wouldn't have turned it down either. I mean, at the time, because I mean, he had a big hit with Poltergeist, but like. I don't feel like even after that, like, I mean, we talked about the devil's advocate. He's in that obviously, but like, I remember more for TV roles like coach more than I do anything else. It's possible too, that with them being released at the same time, someone could be like, Oh, Hey, he was in that poltergeist film. We should go check out this film. I mean, it could have had that kind of <laughs> effect true. too. Yeah. And uh, well, the funny thing is this makes like three movies in a row that like, or, you know, or two movies in a row that's like been affected by Poltergeist in some way, because we talked about in the changeling, Steven Spielberg came and actually talked to the direct, he, they, he watched the movie uh, of the changeling, talked to the guys who made the movie and then turned around and made Poltergeist. So they kind of feel like he stole a little bit of their, you know, ideas, you know, to an extent he's just, well, not, I mean, not still, but like he, you know, got inspired. He's like, I want to make a movie like this. And then it turns around and then it's like, it just blows it, you know, this movie out of the water so it's just like poltergeist is like this big you know like humongous vacuum that came in there and just you know all these other good horror movies just kind of got you know thrown to the wayside because of it maybe poltergeist the vacuum in poltergeist the spiritual one maybe it did suck in all these other films (laughs) literally um i think (laughs) that uh poltergeist was inspired by actual events and when i say actual events i mean movies that were already made <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i really i mean when i heard that story that he actually watched the changeling i was like okay i mean even if he didn't base anything in his movie off of that he he saw that he saw that and he's like i want to make a, a you know it's finally time for me to make a you know haunted house movie and yeah I'm, I'm going, that's what i'm going to do 
Um, the method in which Carla is diagnosed by physicians, a method which relies heavily on her personal history, and in particular her relationships with her father and her sexual encounters with other men, reflects a largely Freudian psychodynamic method of diagnosis. This, this combined with the fact that she is initially diagnosed by a team of doctors as having hysteria, a uh, disorder that was disappeared from mainstream American psychiatric diagnostics makes this movie one of the last in which Freudian methods and conceptions uh, related to sex and childhood development uh, are shown to have a significant impact on the diagnosis of patients. Uh, with the rise of neuro neurochemistry, neuroscience, neuroscience and biological tests in the 80s, 90s, and beyond, Freudian methods like those portrayed in this film would become uh, considered uh, to be more superstitious than actually uh, legit science. So yeah, um, it's kind of uh, you're you're kind of seeing like you know we talked about in the Changeling. It's the first time in a movie that you see you know automatic writing. This is like the last time in a movie you see this type of you know uh, psychiatric diagnosis. Yeah, I it's mean, weird. Seriously though, even today it's hard to deny the facts that being predisposed to the stuff she was at such a young age and throughout the majority of her life, in fact, the entirety, if you will, not including uh, Mr. Whodunit, whatever they fucking called the ghost, which is fucking weird. Um, but I don't think that you can deny that being, again, like I said, predisposed to this type of activity isn't going to fuck you up in the head a little bit. Well, and it also, it's like past traumas do flavor your views of things going forward. I mean, you, you start to see like, I mean, it, it's, it's something they see with like cops and, you know, in particular, it's like, because they see so much violence, you know, and so much like, you know, like when they roll up on a scene, like, you know, somebody's ready to, you know, or could be ready to kill them at any moment in time, yeah. they start to assess all of the situations the same way. It's like, cause you know, that experience is like, you know, kind of been imprinted on their mind. So I could see that having some bearing still it's like okay did you have sexual trauma as a child you're gonna you know you're you're gonna be more predisposed to you know thinking that way you know uh later on just because it's left that imprint whether or not yeah. it's you know directly on the surface or not yeah it's sad but man you know again it, it will fuck you up I, I don't know how how else to say it you know this poor woman has fucking she had really been through it prior to this you know, situation, and then at what point do did these people think that she's just crying out for attention? You know. Yeah, and that well, that's the worst part for me watching this movie. But they do a good job of showing is just the fact that you know she she legit just wants like you know if nothing else somebody to believe in her that she you know and then like she goes through most of the movie not even getting that it's just like okay you know you're you know she's I mean not only is she going through this whether or not it's her own you know actually her or not it's just that she doesn't have anybody on her really on her side other than her kids at that point and yeah. you know and that and and the kids are not enough I mean she needs another adult to kind of just agree with her and say okay you clearly have something going on we need to fix this yeah it's, um, that didn't exist back in those saying, days though you know <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, to, uh, and I don't but, even know for sure that it exists today. People always talk about it, mental health specifically. I don't really see a lot being done. A lot more is being done than in the past, but I just don't know that the effort is really there. I don't think there's really any heart into it, you know? 
I, I sad I sadly feel like now like it's went the opposite way. It's like what pills can we throw at you and get you to shut up? You know, yeah. it's like it's because the therapy part of it is kind of like you know moved to less of a you know use uh, than what the actual pharmaceutical side of it is. Not to say the pharmaceuticals don't work, but uh, I mean there there's a lot of outstanding you know you know medical documentation that it that you have better outcomes with the therapy and the medicine in used in tandem versus yeah. you know, just one or the other medicine used by itself. I was going to say, I have heard amazing stories of people that were able to overcome a lot and not be numbed by medication, but it actually fixing the chemistry in their body, their brains or whatnot and actually helping. And that's, you know, nice to hear when it's used properly, you know, but yeah, you're right. It just yeah. gets kind of thrown at everybody. Like, you know, trick or treaters reaching out for some candy and that's just not how it works. No, sadly. I mean, and, and even the people who are investigating like the use of uh, psychedelics to kind of help with PTSD and some of the things like that, which are similar to what, I mean, you, you, you could basically say that Doris had PTSD. Even, yeah. I mean, regardless, I mean, you know, either from her youth or, you know, what, what happened to her then, or, you know, what was actually happening or did not happen, whatever at the time that she was being attacked, but she had PTSD and it's like, you know, you get caught in that cycle of PTSD and it's hard to break, but they're seeing some benefit from like psychedelics and be able to break that like pattern build up in the mind that feeds back into all that stuff. But the, but you have to have, even that has to be administered in a safe situation where you have somebody watching out for you, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, a whole dream sequence where Carla was forced to have incestuous thoughts about her son by the entity was dropped for the movie by director Sidney Fury because it was too sexually controversial at the time. Uh, this was despite the, uh, the fact that there was a recent release uh, movie by Bernardo Bertolucci, uh, Luna is the name of the film, which examined a mother-son relationship and uh, also came from the same 20th Century Fox studio. I'm glad that he dropped that. Yeah, I felt same. Like that was way too out there yeah i mean there was already a lot going on in this film you ugh. could you imagine you the to torture of that she already had the 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 unwilling orgasm which is again that was a that was a hard scene the after effects of it you know now she's got to think about her kid uh-uh yeah, I, I I read that and I'm just like okay that yeah that needed to uh, be removed and i'm glad they did that made for a better movie. Um, <clears throat> both George Coe, Dr. Weber, and Alex Rocco, who played Jerry Anderson, died on July 18th, 2015. They died on the same day. That's weird. Yeah. And suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Um, further excerpts of the original score by Charles Bernstein of this film can be heard in the original version of A Nightmare on Elm Street. So there you go. Yeah. You can, so uh, you, just like you said, you kind of heard Nightmare on Elm Street in this movie. It, that's because Nightmare on Elm Street used some of this movie's music. It's that first key that they use before they get into the Nightmare on Elm Street theme. It's kind of like when you hear Jump by Van Halen. It's that initial... <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is uh, the, that that theme though is just so good not running up street it's that that doo -doo. i mean it's yeah. just it's got that almost like a you know lullaby like, like i said it's it's so good uh the initial reviews were so negative that barbara hershey thought it was the worst decision of her career Aww. to accept this role but um but it clearly wasn't. It's, you know <laughs> 
the view has changed since then by a lot of Spoiler people. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. <laughs> You're still working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to Dr. Barry Taft, the director, uh, Sidney J. Fury, didn't believe the real-life story and just thought they were all a bunch of drugged-out wackos. It's, it's very possible, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, this is weird. A video game adaptation was developed <laughs> by 20th Century Fox in 1982 for the Atari 2600. Although though it was never officially released, a playable prototype surfaced years later and is available online. What Can you the imagine fuck? A, <laughs> well, I mean, what would this game even be? Like, I mean, the E.T. game was like literally you had E.T. and he fell in a hole and that's all you could do. And then, you know, that's literally the game. What would this even have been like? I mean, you was walking around as Barbara Hershey and all of a sudden, the you know, you start hearing the thrasher and you had to try to run faster away from something that you can't even see. Like, I don't even know how that would work. <laughs> okay, I don't know that this is, this is it. I'm going to go, there's a couple of links here. So the first one is the entity on Steam, uh, which I doubt, <laughs> uh, I doubt that this was, uh, this is the game. But the entity on Steam is your Jack, a man that recently moved into his deceased grandmother's house, uh, wakes up at 3 a.m. Of course, it's 3 a.m. To hear strange noises around the house. He remembers hearing them when he was younger. His grandmother always told him it was just the pipes. He's not too sure anymore. Uh, it's just, it just looks like a survival horror game. All right, let's go back because I did see an Atari website. <clears throat> Atariprotos.com. Okay, this one's based on the movie. Okay, based on the horror movie of the same name, The Entity is an interesting action game by programmer Mark Klein, who was responsible for two other unreleased TCF games, Pick Up and Look Ahead. Much like his previous game, Pick Up, The Entity deals with a rather adult theme. The movie involved a young woman who was being raped by a ghost. This could be why the 20th Century Fox chose not to release the game. Despite the name, the game itself really doesn't resemble the movie The Entity at all. In the game, your goal is to move the entity to the highest plane of existence. What? Before your energy runs out. Wasn't that called Nirvana? How do you accomplish this goal, you ask? An exorcism? One of those cool Ghostbuster proton packs? A virgin sacrifice? No. Uh, all you have at your disposal are walls. That's right, walls. The game is divided up into several roles, planes of existence, <clears throat> similar to Taz, but in the entity, you can only see three rows on the screen at one time. Between each of the rows, it, rows is a portable hole through which you must force the entity. As previously stated, this is accomplished through the careful placement of walls. Okay, so there are really probably some kind of electrostatic ectoplasm energy barriers, but let's just call them walls for now. The walls are moved by... Pressing the joystick left and right, once a wall lines up with the portal, it will lock into place, thus giving the bouncing entity uh, nowhere to go but up. So I think we're going to end right there. Thank goodness. Yeah, basically, I read the same thing you did. I was reading through it as you was talking. Basically, you have to. They're like he's like a lemming, and you have to drop the walls at the last second to get him to go in a different direction. Because if you drop them too soon, he sees them, gets pissed off, and then starts breaking shit. So mm. you gotta like wait until he's right next to where you need him to go, like a different direction, drop a wall, and then he bounces off and goes somewhere else. That is the stupidest thing. I mean, oh my god! Like, <laughs> uh, there's also a sleep I, I, I paralysis game. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Let's go. Hold um, on. Let's go to this one real quick. Oh God. 
the picture's pretty fucking scary. I mean, it's it's very 8-bit, but Entity is a game about a girl who wakes up with sleep paralysis, a stage between awake and dreaming. She is struggling with moving her body while she's surrounded by shadow creatures. She needs your help to wake up. But it doesn't say anything about any 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 sexual activity. So, and I certainly hope not because it almost it looks like one of those games that a kid would easily be tricked into playing because it looks like it could be a kid's game, so yeah, that you don't want anything like that. That'd be ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, so, anyways, uh, that was our uh, our deep dive into uh, finding the entity game. <laughs> uh, according to Doctor Barry Taft, the director rewrote the original script. Uh, he was also he also stated well that they were drugged out wackos. Let's see. The uh, film was made and released about four years after its source novel, the same name, was first published in '78. Uh, a frequent dust jacket blurb for the book read beyond physical reality, beyond ecstasy and pain to a dark netherworld of psychosexual truth. That's kind of skeezy. That's kind of, I don't know. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Beyond ecstasy and pain to a dark netherworld. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's almost like glorifying, you know, yeah. the sex part of, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. That's um, very, what are those books called? The, the, the very standard, uh, erotica books. There's a publishing yeah, company. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but that's very much Harlequin. Harlequin. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they were really, and those Harlequin books really are into some weird freaky shit. <laughs> there's, there's books out there now like some of these uh you know the, these romance novels that they came out with since then some of them you know i mean they they're basically porn for women i mean that's all they are yeah so, i mean and they you know uh just it's written out instead of you know visual like it is for guys but that's what it is ladies you be freaky man with some of the <laughs> shit you read <laughs> <laughs> there was there was one that uh, heard about from through a coworker that something that was like uh, a demon was having sex with some girl on a, a pulpit in a church or something. I'm just like, okay, if that's uh, that's what you're into. I and guess. you know, we get mad at um, men for looking at <laughs> any kind of porn or even just a woman in a bikini. I know I do. You know, I'm like, what the fuck are you looking at? And then we're over here reading shit like that, like like we don't have problems. <laughs> <laughs> um. This was one of two supernatural horror movies made during the late 70s and early. Uh-oh. A Bollywood film named Hawa in 2003 was on this film. Can you imagine a Bollywood version of this? Uh, that, I don't know. That seems crass to me a little bit too. Cause you got like, what's she going to do right after she gets attacked start, jump up and start dancing and like snapping her fingers and like doing one of those dances. I mean that. that no. Sense to me. <laughs> um, actually Reverend, I lost you right at the beginning of that. Um, can you go over that? Cause I'll edit it in the podcast. It like it, the, everything completely froze up. Okay, so a Bollywood film named Hawa, H-A-W-A, in 2003 was based on this film. So I just, I'm trying to, I don't understand how you can make a Bollywood film of this. It's like what, right after you get attacked by the, the entity, you just jump up and start doing one of your dance numbers. I yeah. Mean, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> With those high-pitched singing and, okay. <laughs> but, like, do they, I have to Google it, but does Bollywood, any Bollywood 
porn. Ex- I'm sure it exists, but like the, uh, Bollywood films are usually really big, like almost like those summer blockbusters we talk about. They're big. So like, is that even allowed? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the stipulation is as far as their, uh, you know, what kind of movies they make and all that. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's a 2003 Hindi uh, horror film uh, starring Taboo. Uh, it was unofficially uh, a remake of 1983's The Entity. Well, I don't know. What they ca- I guess 83 in their country. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to read just, uh, it just see. She's like the poster says molested. Yeah. It's a sexual violence on the fucking poster. Yeah. Good yeah. God. What the fuck dude. And, and I mean, for it to be Bollywood, they have to have the singing and dancing. I don't think unless, well, I mean, maybe there's Bollywood movies where they, they don't do that. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just called, but I thought Bollywood was like a, a genre where they just did the singing and dancing. Yeah. Oh um, my God. Anyways. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's weird. But anyways, uh, Robert McNaughton auditioned for a role for this film after being asked by the casting director uh, who saw him an off Broadway play in New York. Um, in this movie, Barbara Hershey's character is pursued by an evil being. Eventually, she played a character who is the mother of a family man pursued by an evil being in Insidious 2010 and Insidious Chapter 2 in 2013. Holy shit. Um, which is true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, he he is pursued by, you know, that demonic character. Uh, Poltergeist came out the same year, and both movies are about evil spirits assaulting a family. Uh they both feature a scene where the young mother seems to be sexually assaulted by evil force. I don't know if I would say that the mother in polar guys is necessarily, I don't know that I got that vibe that she may. I mean, there was the, I mean, she was in the bathtub and she was like being thrown on the bed, but they didn't go anywhere near to me and seeing Did you get that from that scene where she's like being thrown on the ceiling that she was being sexually assaulted? Um, I know it was a very sexy scene, and I got the idea that she would have been. I know she, she been. only had the shirt on, you yeah, know, and her uh, underwear. Oh, like, yeah, you and, you and Noah were really loving that scene. It kind of came off that way, to be honest with you. Okay, well, I guess they did. Uh, although the, the entity spends the entire movie dwelling on uh, that in lurid and violent detail, where Poltergeist just had one brief scene where that is inferred, Poltergeist also got glowing reviews and wonderful box office returns, whereas the entity was critically and commercially a disappointment, in part because of the heavy-hitting competition that year from it and E.T. Yeah. I forgot E.T. came out that year, too. That really, I mean, because you yeah. remember back in the days when these came out, they would keep movies in theaters for months. Like, yeah. they didn't come in and go out like they do now. They, like, I, I want to say that, like, Halloween, when it got big, uh, and we'll get into that whenever we cover it. But I want to say that it came out, had like a, a month that it played. They pulled it. They it got Halloween season. They realized that they could put it back in the theaters. And then they reintroduced it and then ran it for like six more months after that. That's yeah. what they did back in these days. Back in our day. <laughs> back in them old days. Um After the premiere, some teenagers at that time sarcastically retitled the movie as The End Titty. <laughs> After the scene where the entity attacks Carla when she sleeps, leave it to some teenagers to come up with something like that. Well, the, you're just asking for it, okay? The titty is in the name, so. 
Uh, it, it is. And you, you said all the sexual innuendo you did. So that, yeah. I guess it goes along with it. Um, I wanted to say something real um, quick, though, going back to, um, oh, God, uh, it wasn't the teenagers. Shit. Did I just lose what I was going to say? I lost what I was going to say. It's over. You said titty and it's gone. <laughs> was it anything to do about E.T. or movies in the theaters back in the day? Or oh, what we were yes, it did. That? Yes, because okay. back in those days, we had to walk uphill both ways in the snow <laughs> just to get to the theater and to see ca- a movie. <laughs> yeah, in California, you had to do that. That was bad times. Yes. Thank God for global warming, right? Thank God, yes. <laughs> California. <laughs> Uh, the film's closing epilogue states, the film you've just seen is a fictionalized account of a true incident which took place in Los Angeles, California in October 1976. It is considered by psychic research to be one of the most extraordinary cases in the history of parapsychology. The real Carla Moran is today living in Texas with her children. The attacks, although dis- uh, decreased in both frequency and intensity, continue. <laughs> and then, uh, but according to an update by the Connecticut Paranormal Research Society webpage, uh, it's entitled uh, The Carla Moran Story, The Entity. The woman, uh, Doris Bither, uh, moved five times, but the attacking entity followed her. Eventually, she uh, as she moved farther away, they, they diminished, and after about two years, they stopped altogether, which you said that there's some contin- contention about that, whether they did actually stop, but that's what they said, at least. Yeah, um, so it was kind of a, a shocker and kind of sad to hear that it continued until she died, which, holy shit, dude. She died in 1999. I don't know how old she was then, but, man, a long time to be not wanting to. That, that's, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a hell that nobody should have to live Mm-mm. in. Yeah. Um. So I believe it comes down to the ratings now. So let's go back to the Frighteners. Let's lighten it up just for a split <laughs> second. What do you want to give the Frighteners? Oh, God, the Frighteners. That was my first time watching that film. I really liked it. Um, ah, this is a hard one. I'm going to give it a 4.7. It was high up okay. there. I thought the the spooks were good. The acting was good. The lighting was good. CGI was decent for its time. I feel like they did what they had to do um, with what they had, Um, even though we're reviewing a 1970s film where or 1980s film where they didn't necessarily have CGI. They had prosthetics, but they did a really fucking good job (laughs) of making it look real. So they probably could have done more with the Frighteners. Um, But overall, just a very enjoyable film with a good story, a decent amount of action, some good spooks, um, and kind of family fun with enough adult, you know, innuendo to to keep you interested. I agree with that. I mean, I give it a four and a half. It's not that I don't, I mean, and I'm, I'm, Probably, I don't know, on a good day, I'm probably closer to what you just said. It's just that, like, I've watched it a ton of times. Yeah. I go back to it all the time. I mean, this is like a regular, almost a regular Halloween movie for me. And, I mean, obviously, I care about it because, I mean, I, I go back and rewatch it so often. But I, I feel like four and a half is about where I've settled on it after watching it so many times. It's not one of my favorite movies, so that's why it's knocked down from a five. But it's it's one, I mean, like, I just enjoy it. Uh, even whenever we was watching it for this, like, I just as soon as – you know, I, I got, I saw, 
you know, Michael J. Fox interacting with the, you know, uh, Cyrus and Stewart. I'm just like, okay, I, I'm in for it again another time, you know. Yeah. I just, I, I like rewatching it. Well, I would say for you um, having watched it so many times, a 4.5 is actually pretty good. I feel like it is. It's holding I mean, up, yeah. Because, yeah, because yeah, some movies, I mean, you watch them so much, you get tired of them, they start to decrease in their ratings. And, like, this one's kind of held steady. Like, when I first saw it, it was a 5 out of 5. And then it just kind of, like, you know, it's like over time, I've I've just kind of like, okay, there's there's little things about it, I mean, you know, but I, I still overall enjoy it. I mean, I just I feel like it's got a good mix of the comedy and the horror to make it, like, you know, uh, something you can watch really anytime i mean you know you don't have to like save it for spooky season necessarily although it does fit pretty well for that season yeah and la Arena does not rewatch films it's very rare that she does <laughs> clearly i'll do it for the for the episodes but i don't just willingly do it and this is definitely going to be added to the halloween uh to the halloween pack of movies that we watch so that's that's that actually makes me pretty happy to hear because I, I wish more people knew about the Frighteners. It's like when they see it and then they watch it, they're like, okay, yeah, I really like this movie. But then, like, you, you, you ask most people, it's like, what? Peter Jackson, he, the Lord of the Rings guy, he made something else? It's like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll go first on the Entity because this was my first watch of this. I, right off the right out the gate, I, I give it a four point eight. Like this is one that could go down over time. But it's but I was riding a pretty good high on this one when I brought because it actually I, I felt like it got me in the atmosphere. It got me you know uh, the the scary factor of it and some of the scenes like the scene where like I said she goes back in there and she's by herself and the door starts slamming. Uh, the scene where like all of a sudden the music kicks in and her and her children rush out and like her son goes underneath the house and like finds that the you know the the pipe is like making the sound but then she says that line well who's moving the pipe you know that's kind of yeah. creeping me out a little bit uh the scene where she's laying in bed next to her friend and you think that she's protected and she is to a degree but then like the as she starts to drift off to sleep the light and the lamp lights up a little bit to let you know no it's still there yeah you know, like just little stuff like that like i i loved every bit of it <sighs> yeah it, it had some brutal moments um okay so the entity good god this one only because it's still in the back of my head that this really happened. It's a five for me. That's fucking scary. That's scary. That's horrendous. Um, I think on top of that. Oh, oh, that definitely adds to it. Believe me, the fact that it is a real case. I mean, that really bumps it up there too. And like I said, the fact that it, they treat it. I mean, like uh, up in that's the reason to knock it down a, a like point two is because that you know that scene with the experiment but they treat it like it really happened i mean oh yeah absolutely um the story is told very well uh barbara hershey did an amazing job you know it was just it's it's hard when you watch this film it really does look like she's being raped so i mean keep that in mind if you're going to watch this film um and if anyone is super sensitive to that uh, you just need to be aware of it it probably isn't a movie you should see because everything is I would almost say if I would almost say that if it if it's something that's very sensitive I would avoid it cuz they, they do yeah Yeah, it looks too real for anyone that is sensitive to this in any type of way or maybe you've experienced it. Um I don't know that that could help anybody in any kind of way. I don't see how it could. Um it looks absolutely horrible. So but because of that 
it's because you know it makes this movie an absolute horror film whatsoever it the it, there's true horror in this movie there is pure evil behind what is attacking her and and it doesn't it doesn't lighten up there's no mm-hmm. i mean even the ending it's like you're you're she got no relief from this like so even the ending's like you know yeah. still i mean like it's very bittersweet it's note. like oh okay uh well she's not instead of three times a day it's only one time a day now yay yeah, it's like you know <laughs> thanks evil spirit <laughs> you know um so yeah it, it's it's a five for me five out of five rotten corpses uh you know, it's and it's rewatchable for sure. It's a 1980s film that has decent rewatchability, um, and you will be horrified. So, yeah, I agree with that entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, do you have any uh, uh, plugs that you want to cover for you know a blue collar BS or anything like that? Just the usual, uh, you know, Death Holler. We came, we started from the bottom. We were with Blue Collar BS for a few years. They were letting us ride that uh, RSS feed, if you will. Um, and then we became big kids and we got our own RSS feed, but we still remember where we came from. So if you want to take a listen to some funny guys discussing recent events, their uh, messed up take, if you will, of recent events, go check out Blue Collar BS every Friday. Uh, we record out here in California, so we are Western or Pacific, Pacific Standard Time, whatever they want to call it. Uh, so you'll want to catch us uh you know every like i said every friday sometimes they take a friday off so that's really just about it uh sometimes me and my girls do an episode of hot mess express uh we're not very hot right now we've cooled off of that uh my focus and attention has been primarily on death holler so uh that's that's how i'll be doing it and we're doing so good we're like on those apple charts and you know it's just so nice it's just so unexpected too (laughs) And as far as like episodes we got coming up, I, I, I think the next one we talked about doing is maybe a, a special, like maybe shortened episode dedicated to just M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong's uh, uh, The Sixth <laughs> Sense. Is that what we just described what we was going to do? I'm going to the list right now. Even though I pinned it, it's not like staying pinned or it's not just readily accessible i think you have to you have to i think you have to click on that little pin icon to get it to pull up but yeah it's uh yeah for some reason i don't have it but anyways uh okay so yes we did the frighteners and the entity and i did spell it with titty uh actually at the end of august what i have on the list says legend of hill house and stir of echoes oh but we did have an august special six sense you're right but there's a there's a special episode in there somewhere. Yes, so, I mean, you're I right. It says it, August you know. special sixth sense. So yeah, we need to jump on that. So yeah, look up, uh, look for uh, the sixth sense and a few other shows that we'll be doing after that because I de- I think we want to touch on sixth sense eh, first. I cannot word. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I just I don't see how you get through this season without discussing that. That's like one of the I mean that like brought horror films back into the you know like I mean I I feel like they were dying off at the end of the nineties and that movie just got came out. Yeah, and everyone was like, "What the fuck? That did not happen." Oh yeah, you have to one hundred percent. And I don't I don't know what else we'll have with that. I mean, we might discuss a little bit more about some of his like you know movies and how we felt about them because the only other one that we might even discuss on this podcast period would be Signs. I mean, I don't really oh, yeah. I can't really think of any of his other movies that that I really enjoyed enough to discuss. 
but the sixth sense is obviously a great movie so i mean it deserves it yes for sure um well uh with that peace be with you and with your spirit